Good morning, and welcome to a very special episode of the Authentic English Conversation podcast. I'm not going to do any introductions, we're just going to play it. Are you ready? Here we go. Hello, and welcome to English on the Road. This is Ronan, and I am very excited about my next guest. Wait, wait a minute. Okay, wait, sorry. This is not Ronan. This is Kate, and I'm very excited about my next guest, Ronan. So, Ronan, today we're going to have a podcast takeover. Can you explain for my guests ha, 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 what a podcast takeover is? So, a podcast takeover is a really cool idea whereby <laughs> the interviewer, me, well, the usual interviewer, which is myself, um, now becomes the interviewee. And the guest, which is you, Kate, now becomes the interviewer. So, you have... Yeah full control and i am just a just a regular guest on the english on the road <laughs> podcast all right i have full control you are <laughs> at my power and i was going to say control <laughs> and i'm super excited about this this is my very first podcast as the interviewer um and basically the concept of today started when you and i were having a chat on instagram just in our own private dms about Ireland, right? We were chatting about the history of Ireland when Ireland um, de-unified. Yeah, it became a republic. Became a republic. And we decided that I would then interview you and you would uh, give us all this information about what exactly happened. So I'll do my best. Okay. (laughs) Now, one thing I will say, I did start to do a little bit of research when it came to this. But sitting there and reading about something is obviously very different than learning about it from a friend, through words, through, you know, stories and all of that. And I decided instead of sitting here and Googling, you know, now I know that it started in 1919, rather than doing all that, I just want to hear this from you. We'll start at the beginning back in, I guess, 1918, Mm -hmm. and then we will go through the separation of Ireland and Northern Ireland, and then talk about basically what that means these days. So um, if you are ready and willing, let's begin. Absolutely. All righty. So why don't you tell me what, obviously you weren't around at the time, what was life like at 1918 and before, before the separation of the two islands? So Ireland was occupied by the British for a long time. And like way back in the day, the British came to Ireland um, and they started to take over. They started to colonize Ireland. And that's when we would have seen a decline, say, in the Irish language, culture, everything like that. As time went on leading up to 19, say 1916 would be a key date in Irish history. And that's when the 1916 rising happened, which was an absolutely failed rebellion against the crown and however a lot of people argue that maybe it wasn't a failure because Mm -hmm. in 1916 there was a giant rebellion in dublin city and it lasted for about a week or so and then all the rebels were rounded up and over the coming weeks were executed by the british now what happened then was that originally when this rebellion happened the people were not really in favor of it. You know, the people were not 
loving to see their city of Dublin destroyed by artillery, by soldiers everywhere, and lots of people died. So obviously, if you're living in Dublin, it's kind of like, what is going on? Why is everything being destroyed? However, the tables turned when General Maxwell started executing the rebels. And that's when the momentum for a full republic of Ireland really began. And then it was um, the reason the 1916 rising kicked off was because Ireland was part of the United Kingdom. And what Ireland really wanted was home rule, you know, to have her own government in Ireland, because up till that, um, Ireland was controlled by Westminster. And a lot of people in Westminster just didn't really care for the Irish question. They never really paid too much attention to the Irish, never really paid them the respect or anything like that. So the Irish were saying that we just want to have our own government in Ireland. World War I happens, and they were like before World War I, they were very close to giving us our home rule. But then World War I happened, war broke out, and they decided to delay it. And that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. That's mm-hmm. when Podrick Pierce organized a rebellion in Dublin City. He read out the proclamation of an Irish Republic. The rising happened, the rising failed. And I'm doing air quotes there because okay. he had always envisaged that it would be a blood sacrifice and that by giving up his life against the British, he could motivate others to pick up the mantle and to continue the war. And then afterwards, that's when the War of Independence happened, right up to 1922. Okay. So this started in 1916. It was technically a quote-unquote failure because he died. Mm -hmm. However, that was always not his plan, but he knew that was going to happen and he was okay making that sacrifice. Yes. Wow. Okay. And so when the rebels were being shot, including Connolly, who was shot in his wheelchair in like Mm -hmm. a, in a jail in Dublin city, that's when momentum completely shifted away. Like you have to understand the people hated the rebels at the start you know they threw rotten fruit at them they had no sympathy for them but it was not the right decision to execute them day after day after day so every day in a newspaper they would have another one executed another one and another one and that's when people realized that you know what we don't want home rule anymore we want full independence from britain wow okay okay so the the beginning was 1916 until 1919, and then 1919 to 1922 was that second phase. It yeah. was the now we want full independence, not just home rule. Home rule. Thank you. Okay. And then what happened in 1922 towards the end of, of this independence? How did things continue further? So that's when the War of Independence was really like at its at the height of the War of Independence. And it was a very bloody war. We're not talking about like soldiers meeting each other in the battlefield because Ireland didn't really have the resources to have that kind of war. So similar to like the American Revolution, where, you know, if you were to fight the English, 
in a field, you're going to lose. They have superior artillery, superior weapons. Um, they've been in war a lot longer. They have a real military. So a lot of it was um, guerrilla warfare. A lot of it was ambushes. A lot of it was like cloak and dagger. And basically the Irish just trying to get, um, what was it called? They had these like flying columns, they were called, which would be like a brigade of Irish fighters just all over the country. And they would just go around doing random attacks. And so Britain was putting all this money into it. They were bringing soldiers, uh, veterans from World War One into Ireland to try and police the nation. But of course, military should never be used to police because that's not what they're there for. Police mm-hmm. should be policing, not former soldiers who were fighting in World War One. Right. And so there is there is something so much more um, intimidating when mm-hmm. it's the military and you're not supposed to be using military force against your own people. Absolutely. And that's a huge important thing to think about too. We're talking about technically British citizens. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean they brought in the what are now known as the black and tans because their uniforms were black or tan because they were all former soldiers and everything and they were nasty. They were very nasty people and they would have huge reprisals against any attack and they would do awful things to the native Irish people. And so right up until say 22 that's when um at one point Britain decided to open negotiations with the Irish. Mm-hmm. And they were like let's go to the table, let's have a discussion and let's figure out how we can end all this violence. Wow. Any idea how many people were murdered and executed in that time between 1916 and 1922? Off the top of my head, no. I have no clue whatsoever. Too many. Too many people. Yeah. But I mean, you're talking about like the black and tans would go, they would, they burnt down Cork City in a reprisal. They would just like go into a bar. They would kick everyone out. They would just go around and be bullies, like be really, really nasty bullies. And of course, like a lot of people might have criticized the IRA, the Irish Republican Army at the time, mm-hmm. because they were doing guerrilla warfare and seen as a cowardice way or something like that. But what else could you do? It's like you are not able to meet them head on in a traditional warfare style. And so, you know, Ireland is a beautiful country, rolling hills, bog, everything like that. And you just fight in your element, which is what the IRA did, what the flying columns did. And it was like a lot of different attacks all over the country that really brought Britain to its knees. Okay. Uh, Just so that we're clear, can you define the kind of guerrilla attacks that we're talking about just for anyone who might not understand what that means? Yeah. So guerrilla warfare is kind of like an ambush style warfare, whereby you will wait in an area and you might have an idea that say British forces are going to be driving through this area at a certain time on a certain day. So you and your fellow soldiers, your buddies, you all just hide out and you wait and it's like a surprise attack. Mm -hmm. So it's not like traditional war where you will march up towards them and they see you and they get prepared. It's like they're driving down the road and you have an obstacle on the road. So a convoy or a truck will have to stop. And then suddenly out of the bushes or the hills, people come out with guns and start shooting. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's a very effective way 
to fight. And really, it was like one of the only ways that you could win against the British, because you're talking about the biggest military in the world at the time. Right. Against one smaller country, less population, and not exactly the big fields like, you know, you mentioned earlier, the American Civil War. American Civil War is like they have areas and regions known specifically for the battle of of this day and the battle of that place. And this was a very famous, you know, battle here between this person and this person. But you don't have that wide open space when it comes to Ireland. It's not like you know, the, this old version of war when you'd have two teams fighting against each other just hoping to win. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we also had... It's good that you mentioned the population because our population was decimated in the famine. Mm. And, you know, throughout the history of Ireland and England's occupation of Ireland, like, in the famine, before the famine, there might have been around 8 million people living in Ireland. And after the famine, it went down to like three or four million. So in the space of one or two years, we lost 50% of the population. And so, you know, the Irish rebels would have like mentioned that a lot to rally people. And you have to understand that Ireland was in a constant state of rebellion. You know, it's not as if it was like just one day we woke up and said, hey, we want home rule. We want freedom. Like 1798 was the first rebellion against the British. It failed. And from that point on, there was other smaller rebellions again and again and again. 1916 being the huge one that right. really set everything in motion. Wow. Uh, can I ask, when was the famine? The famine was, I just have it open here to make no mistakes whatsoever, <laughs> from 1845 to 1852. Okay. So we've and got... 47, 47 was the worst year, 1847. 1847. Okay, so it was about 50 to 60 years after that. But mm-hmm. of course, the famine would have a huge, I mean, it don't know necessarily which versions of the populace were hurt or impact the most. But if you've got 50% of your population, probably a lot less children being born during the famine. And then 50, 60 years later, you you know your population has been impacted by that moment in time 50 years before yeah and then the fighting through and then the fighting really starts in 1916 but then okay let's not fast forward but go to 1922 when the british wanted to have a sit down meeting and actually say okay what are we going to do here um in order to stop this fighting forward what happened? <laughs> yeah, so basically Britain wanted to sit down with the Irish at the table and they agreed and they went for negotiation. So a ceasefire was called. And then it was a case of trying to work out a deal to end the violence. And so on the one side, you have the British politicians and on the other side, you have the Irish politicians. And the Irish politicians and soldiers went to London to negotiate And it was a back and forth, like, I'm going to give you the very brief explanation. It was back and Mm -hmm. forth for a while. There was numerous meetings. And long story short, they agreed to give Ireland dominion status. So not even give full freedom to Ireland. Because for Britain, to give full freedom to Ireland would have been 
massive because people in India would have seen that and they would have been like, right. well, now we want full freedom as well. So for Britain, they were trying to figure out the best way to go about this, to tread softly. Right, without so, setting a bad precedent for all of the other colonized countries yes, where they were. Okay. Absolutely. And so Michael Collins, who was uh, the Irish hero, essentially, of the War of Independence, who was sent over to negotiate, came back with a deal. And as he said, it's not freedom, but it's the freedom to win freedom. You know, Irish history has always been politics, violence, politics, violence, politics, violence. And this was the politics phase. And so he came back and I was like, we're going to get a doll. We're going to get a government here. We have an opportunity to win freedom through politics. And then, of course, that kind of divided a lot of people. Because a lot of people were like, you betrayed us. You know, we wanted wanted to fight. Yeah. But him being the the general of Ireland and him being like the the leader of the IRA, he realized that we can't keep up this war for much longer. Mm. You know, it's, it's a grueling war and Britain have infinite resources where we don't. Mm -hmm. Wow. Is Michael Collins celebrated now as some sort of, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. How is he celebrated? It's not so much that we'd celebrate or have a parade or anything, but everybody in Ireland knows who Michael Collins is. Every single person. In fact, um, there's actually a really good movie about it with Liam Neeson and Julia Roberts, who does a terrible Irish accent, but let's not get into that. <laughs> you know, a lot of actors do that. What's but, the movie um, called? Michael Collins. Michael. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> worth, it's worth a watch. It is absolutely worth a watch. Yeah. And um yeah, unfortunately, he was assassinated in the following uh, War of Independence. And that's when, you know, or not War of Independence, excuse me, the Civil War. So it went from War of Independence, negotiate with the British, Civil War, full independence. So the War of Independence ended in 1922? Yeah. With Michael Collins approving and and really fighting for the politician version of or the the diplomatic way of re, of <laughs> of getting of freedom stopping this war and then yeah. the civil war happened after that when was the civil war the civil war was from 22 to 23 so right afterwards oh immediately immediately wow. as soon as he came back with that it was a very contentious issue and like brothers fought each other families were torn apart it's a civil war it's like the worst type of war that you can imagine right. because some people felt so passionate. It's like, we have them on the ropes. Let's finish them off. Mm. But then others were like, no, we're going to listen to Michael because it's Michael Collins and everything. Right. And so then the Civil War started. And after the Civil War, then they kind of went back into politics. Because throughout the Civil War, Westminster would have been putting pressure on Michael Collins. So that's when the Irish Free State was created in '22. And that's when the Civil War began. And so now you have a situation where you have the Irish Free State and you have rebels in the same country. And Westminster were basically getting on to Ireland saying, quell this rebellion now, otherwise we'll come come and do the job for you, which is obviously not good. Right. So you've got, in some ways, like in this time between 1921, 1923, you've got Ireland against the Brits. 
Mm-hmm. And then Michael Collins comes with a version of of ending this war, which then in fact starts another war, and now it's Ireland against Ireland. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Lots of bloodshed, lots of tra- <sighs> tragedy. Mm-hmm. So let's skip ahead just a little bit. And of course, if I'm missing anything or if there's parts that I, I don't fully understand, you can obviously stop oh, me yeah. and say, no, there's something to remember here. Um, so now we've got Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Yes. Northern Ireland is is still part of the UK. Yes. The Republic of Ireland or otherwise called simply Ireland is not. No, we are 100% separated. Okay. But there's no, from what I understand, there's no war or wall separating Northern Ireland and Ireland. No, we have open borders, which is essential to the peace and stability of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Open borders. Do you have to go through any place where you're driving from Northern into Southern? Or is it just like, we just left... Ireland and we are now in the northern northern Ireland. The only way you would notice a difference is that the lampposts are different and the post boxes are red. Wow. And okay. of course, like that's a visible difference that you see. Mm-hmm. Um kilometers per hour to miles per hour in the UK. And of oh, course, wow. the currency would be euro in republic and the sterling in the north. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I had heard that when there was talk about Brexit and and certain regions wanting to stay, certain regions wanting to go, that was another topic of discussion was, you know, how would we then control these borders that don't have, you know, the sheep go from one side to the other, for example, and, and there is no controlling of the borders, but it would at some point have to happen depending on how it goes with the Brexit. Now, and- of course, we can get that was a huge later? issue. No, that was okay. a huge issue because like we have open borders now, but it wasn't always like that. I can remember when I was a kid going into Northern Ireland and there would have been like a cage over the border and there would have been British soldiers there and they might search your car or something like that. And of course, when the troubles happened, which was the period of violence in Northern Ireland, um, when the IRA were fighting for freedom and civil rights and everything like that was going on. That's when, after that, they got rid of all the border checks, everything, and just had an open border, which in the Brexit talks was a massive issue. Because Mm -hmm. if they were to close that border, if they were to put, say, military barricades, uh, barricades there again, it wouldn't be long before they become a target, if not immediately. And If you put anything on that border, it just the tensions go so high. So, so with nothing there at this moment, the peace is kept. It's like yes. just kind of an understanding. That is the North. This is the Republic, or that's the Republic. This is the North. But there's no fighting. There's no no real stress that needs to be quelled. But if they put a border there, it would immediately rise tension. Yeah. And there's a lot of border crossings. There's like over 137 in a very, very short like range of kilometers. So in order to even have checks on all those borders, that would be a huge undertaking, like massive financially, the manpower you would need to do it. And then, of course, trying to, say, 
protect all those border crossings would be just as difficult. Okay. Um, thank you. But that is kind of now nowadays. And I yes. did want to go to the re- the spot of time between 1923 and now, where we're now talking about like the cultural implications, right? The war is over. There is two Irelands. One part is in with Britain. One part is their own republic. Mm-hmm. What is the what is the cultural implications there of all of that fighting, and then now the quote unquote peace thereafter? So the troubles were from like the sixties up until the nineties, and that was when there was a lot of violence in Northern Ireland. So to really understand it you have to like understand what happened just before the troubles. So Northern Ireland is created. Um, Ireland becomes a full Republic in the thirties. So that's when we become a 100% 26 County Republic. Six counties in Northern Ireland are still part of the UK. In Northern Ireland, Catholics or native Irish say were severely disadvantaged, disadvantaged, mistreated by the government, more or less like second-class citizens. And that's what led to the civil rights movement of Northern Ireland. The civil rights movement kicked off with peaceful protests, sit-down protests, everything like that, to which they were met with severe backlash by the authorities. The authorities all being Protestants, the authorities all being loyal British people. And when we talk about crackdowns, you might have a peaceful protest and suddenly the police come along and either kill or beat up as many people as they can. Mm -hmm. And of course, once stuff like that happens, it doesn't take long for people to bite back. Because if you were Catholic growing up in Northern Ireland, if you called the police, no one would come to help you. If you wanted a job in the estate job, you couldn't get it. Like, The Titanic, for example, that was built in Harland and Wolf. Harland and Wolf being a massive shipyard, no Catholics allowed to work there. And there was a lot of rules placed against Catholics. And one of the basic things they wanted was one man, one vote. So this is like in Britain that this is happening, in Great Britain, sorry, in Great Britain, this is happening. And it's just kind of like, so you argue that you're this great nation, you know, United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, but yet in Northern Ireland, 51% of the population don't have basic civil rights. And so there was the peaceful process and then there was the violence. And that's when the troubles kicked off, when the violence took over. In the 60s. Yeah. And that's when the British military were sent into Northern Ireland. And at first... The British military were welcomed into Northern Ireland by everybody because the people were kind of like, finally, we have an impartial force. We have people coming from England over to help us here because the police were not. The police were extremely biased. And so people were thinking that, hey, the military are here. They're not going to be biased. It didn't take long before the, the military became the big problem. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So that's um there's a lot to take in. And there's a lot to take in. <laughs> I mean, Which Irish mean, history, go on, sorry. 
No, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say like between the the famine, the infighting between the 1700s to the 1900s, the beginning of the independence to Michael Collins, the uh, start of the Civil War, and then now into, you know, having that that peace, but not peace. And then, you know, you, you've mentioned now a couple of times the Troubles. Is mm-hmm. that that's that's like the official cultural name of this phase of time where there was new troubles or more troubles that is how all irish people refer to that phase of time yeah yes absolutely and no one wants to go back to the troubles no one wants to go back to the violence to the car bombs to the petrol bombs to the to the killing of innocent people and it's actually quite fitting that we're talking about it today because in 1972 on the 30th of january was bloody sunday And that was a that was like one of the huge, huge moments in Irish history where 14 innocent people were shot dead by British soldiers at a civil rights march and in Derry City. And that's when like it was at its worst. You know, that's when it was like there was a peaceful protest of 15,000 people were there. And there's been so many inquiries no one has been brought to justice for it, but 14 people were shot dead by British soldiers, unarmed people right. as well. Who were protesting, but peacefully. Yes, and for civil rights. Right. So not even, say, for full independence, not even for a united Ireland. They're just kind of like, hey, we want to be treated fairly. We want housing. We want water. We want to be able to vote. We want to be able to run a business. We want to be able to live our lives here without the right. constant fear that we have right have you seen the tv show dairy girls i have not so it's a comedy and i guess that's typical of irish people we kind of like try to talk about everything in a humorous way because it's our way of coping with everything i guess i have noticed that the irish people are generally hilarious i have never met an irish person i did not immediately like that's wonderful (laughs) (laughs) and so Dairy Girls is a popular TV show based in Derry, which is in Northern Ireland. And it's just about these girls growing up in the middle of the troubles and just how this show is amazing because it's so funny at times. It's so lighthearted, but then it gets into something extremely serious and extremely sad. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a good representation of how it might've been to grow up there at the time. And for me growing up, like my mom is from County Down, Warren Point, where she grew up. You could look across the bay and you'd see the Republic. And she grew up in Northern Ireland in a very Catholic town. And it's just like, now that we're older, myself and my siblings, now that we're older, she'll talk to us more about it. And I'll have great conversations with my aunt, who was a nurse in the Troubles, like a nurse in Belfast, and just the discrimination that she faced for being a Catholic. and just how they have experienced seeing Northern Ireland go through the troubles to peace now, and then just seeing how it could almost all be undone by Brexit. If Brexit wasn't done, if Brexit went South, it would have been right back to it. Wow. That, yeah. So a lot of Irish people in that year i mean this was now a couple of years ago that all of this started but everyone just kind of went like back to that you know 
ready, that, that stressed out cat, yeah. <laughs> you know, that like, what do I do? Yeah. Wow. We don't want you... violence. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. Um, do you remember one story that your aunt said nursing as a Catholic person? In oh Belfast? my God. So many. And the last time I was home in Ireland, like pre COVID, I was having a good chat with her and she was a student nurse in Belfast and there was a civil rights march on to which obviously ended with the civil rights marchers getting beat up or killed or just shot upon by rubber bullets. Did you know the British actually invented the rubber bullet for a conflict in Northern Ireland? Did they? They did. So hmm. that's where rubber bullets came, which are great for taking out eyes and kneecaps and everything. Right. Side note. <laughs> um, so my aunt was telling me a story where she, uh, she was a Catholic student nurse. There was a civil rights march, ended in violence, a lot of blood. And um, she went into the dorms to talk to her other fellow nurses. And she asked them to come help because, you know, she's a nurse. They can help people. They can wound, like, clean wounds or do anything like that. And my aunt would always help. No matter who it is, she would help because you're a nurse and that's your job and that's what you do. Her res- the response from her classmates, oh, no, they're not our people. We're not going to go help. Wow. And that was quite common. So it's kind of like, we're not going to help your people. We're not going to help the Catholics who just got absolutely smashed by the authorities. Um, constantly, like when she was working in the hospital, they would put on Ian Paisley speeches on the um, intercoms. Him being like a staunch unionist, you know, really proud to be British and everything like that. But his speech, like if you were to read his speeches today and if you had someone coming up speaking the way he does today, it would certainly be classified as hate speech. So it's kind of like you have to work with all these people who look down on you. You have to work with these people who don't want to be there with you. And so I know I'm rambling a bit here, but it's all related about I think it was about 10 years ago, she was saying she went to a reunion. And for the first time, a few of the girls came up to my aunt and they apologized. And they were just like, we are so sorry for what we put you through. It's like we they just didn't see the difference. You know, they didn't see what they were really doing there. And they were like, we treated you unfairly. We shouldn't have done that. And we're sorry. But there were some who would still hold on to that hatred view to this day. And like she would go try to sit at a table and they wouldn't let her sit down, for example. Just so because she's Catholic in yeah. that region. Absolutely. Wow. And so like the civil rights, like they really took a lot of inspiration from Martin Luther King, mm. like a lot. And they would have worked together. And Bernadette Devlin, who was someone that everyone should look up, was a key civil rights marcher. And she was like... Basically, they all went to the idea of civil disobedience. And that was the key to success for a lot of people. So you have one group who were going for civil disobedience and one group who were going for violence Hmm. in Northern Ireland at that time in the Troubles. How did your aunt respond to the women when they apologized years later? Oh, she accepted it. You know, she's she's a wise woman. (laughs) You know, she's really wise. And I mean... It, it must have been very hard. I can't imagine what she would have been feeling then or anything. But it's like 
water under the bridge almost. It's kind of right. like, yeah, you fucked up, you know, you fucked up, but it's now 2000s. We've had peace for a long time. We know what it's like to live in harmony. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, good for her that yeah. when you, when all you're trying to do is help people to face prejudice, discrimination based on your religion is awful because everyone there should be there to help people. End of story. Um, right. But yeah, those were, I mean, these, these days are not easier necessarily, or they're not perfect. We're not pure. There's no non-discrimination here. Um, luckily now in place, there are anti, anti-racism policies against races, genders, ageism, um, and as well, religious liberties. But people had to fight hard to get that. And I think, you know, it's important to remember in this moment that people were fighting not that long ago. People who are still alive and who are still relatively young were fighting not that long ago for religious liberties. Crazy. Absolutely. I mean, it's not that long. It's in living memory. I mean, I can remember the Oma bombing in the 90s. I was just a kid. And that was like a heinous attack by the IRA in Oma where so many innocent people died. But it's just like, as a kid, I remember being in a house and my grandparents were down and they were freaking out because my aunt lived in Oma at the time. It's a town in Northern Ireland. And as a kid, you know, you don't really know. You know, something's going on, but you're not sure what. I have another memory of being at my grandparents' house in Warren Point, County Down in Northern Ireland. And their house is the first one as you approach this town. And there was a bomb scare. So... Kate, what is a bomb scare? Hmm. Um, well, I guess that would be either that they think there might be a bomb and then the police are kind of called in to see if something's a bomb or if there was maybe a bomb in the region, but they're not exactly sure where. Absolutely. And okay. so <laughs> the IRA called in. I don't know if it was I don't know for this particular one, if it was the IRA or if it was, say, the unionists or something, but there was a bomb scare in town and the military were called in, obviously, because this is a serious incident. And I just remember, like, looking out the window, seeing all the military trucks, the British military trucks outside the house, some in the garden and stuff. And then they got the robot and the robot goes into town to the car that they suspect there might be a bomb or something like that. Okay. And that was daily life for people. Mm. And I mean, my mom has this great book at home, a beautiful photographic journal of the Battle of the Bogside, it's called. And this book encompasses, say, I think it might be about a 10 or 15 year period a photographer had. And it's just basically pictures of the Troubles. Funny thing about that book, my mom had to hide it when she had it in Northern Ireland, because if the military searched your house and found that book, they would take everybody in to question them to see what's going on. their political, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's similar here to Germany right now. You can't find that book, Der Kampf, which is the book Mm. about Hitler. And if you have it, it's like, why would you have this book? What, What would make you want to have this book? And you're almost assumed to be a bad person to be on the wrong side of history if you've got possession of that book. So this is the the bog side, the book of battle of the bog side. Yeah, and that was a battle in Derry between Irish people and the uh, 
the Northern Irish police. And that was just before the British came, the British military were brought into Northern Ireland. There was a period where the Irish army was on standby on the border to invade Northern Ireland because of the civil rights. Mm. I mean, Bloody Sunday happened in 1972 as a reaction to the British bringing in internment without trial. Internment without trial was literally that their their military could come and arrest you without any questions Mm. and bring you in and hold you there for as long as they wanted. So similar to how the Gestapo might be able to walk in and just take you at a moment's notice, very similar to that. And only targeted Catholics, never, ever targeted Unionists or Protestants. And that's where there was a lot of issues. It's kind of like you, you say you're here for everyone, but yet you're only imposing your wrath on one portion of the population. Right. Okay. And just there's, as a reminder a for people, <laughs> there's a lot. Um, but just as a reminder for people, Bloody Sunday was January 30th when 14 people who were there protesting peacefully and unarmed were brutally murdered. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's now, been investigations. There has been Cameron, I think it was. Was it da- David Cameron, the uh, former PM of Britain? He was the first one to give an official apology for that. But. Wow. It raises the question, should the soldiers be brought to justice for it? Should former Nazi soldiers be brought to justice? You know, it's it's a huge issue that's still ongoing in Northern Ireland right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, it brings in a little bit of Canadian history in my mind where we've got there there was awful atrocities happening against the the First Nations people. You know, Justin Trudeau is the first one to apologize for the atrocities that happened in the 80s and and all before. But it's a, a very small piece that you can do just to even acknowledge these atrocities and say, OK, we were wrong and we shouldn't have done that. But there's a lot of healing to be done between the the different, you know, for, for lack of a better word, the different kinds of peoples, the different peoples involved. Um, between you know catholics protestants and unionists or or you know religion or gender or i mean all of the other things that created upheaval in our culture before it became what we know today now moving to today so the reason this conversation even started and is happening and you're you know coming onto my podcast and telling us all of your your wonderful facts on on irish history oh wonderful um educational is better i'll say educational educational Educational, not wonderful um so so the reason i've invited you onto my podcast here ronan is because i wanted to know you know we started talking about this when i said something about about your town and the uk and what it meant for you and i had made the assumption because in my opinion ireland is part of the uk that that you are also part of the UK. And then our discussion started and it was very, very clear that I was missing a lot of history, um, in which case we decided to do this. So so what, what is it now? I mean, you know, I called you 
I mean, you are Irish. I know that. I, that's not what I called you, but I, what did I say that was wrong? And what, how do we know, right? Like that was my big question when, when we were chatting before was how do I know if someone's from the North or from the Republic by, by talking to them so that I don't make that mistake again of saying, you know, Hey, how does Brexit affect you? And you're like, well, I'm from the Republic. Well, Brexit does affect us. There's no doubt about it. Brexit okay. will affect everyone. It affects everyone in Europe, in the EU, but it would particularly affect Ireland because we are one island, two governments. Mm. We're one island with two different ways of living. And essentially what, what you said was that like we were talking about the lockdowns and everything and you were saying, are we doing what Westminster is doing or something along those lines? I can't remember right. exactly, but it's like, no, we have a completely different pandemic response because we are a completely separate country. Right. So how do you know where someone is from when they say I'm from Ireland? You don't. Right. You have no clue. Because if you talk to my aunt, she'll say she's from Ireland. But I know for a fact that some of her neighbors will say they're from Northern Ireland. And I know some other neighbors will say they're from the UK. Mm. And so there's no easy way to navigate that question. There's no okay. one answer because the Good Friday Agreement in 1998 basically concluded that there's like a lot of different groups living in this area of land. Some of them recognize themselves as Irish, some as British, and some as Northern Irish. And if you were to ask a follow-up question the follow-up question would be what part of ireland are you from to which point i'd say sligo and that's in the west of ireland to which point my aunt would say county down and that's and she then would say that's either in the north of ireland or she would say northern ireland okay and i have some friends who would say they're from londonderry but for me i would never say londonderry i'd say derry and it's a real interesting one with like same, asking. Same town, different name based exact, on where you're from. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so if you were to say you're from London Derry, that clearly means that you're a unionist, you're in favor of the union, you know, you're you're practically British. But if you say you're from Derry, it means the exact opposite. Okay. And so People in Northern Ireland automatically qualify for Irish citizenship. They can get that passport. No questions asked. Of course they can. They're Irish as far as we're concerned. And what's real interesting is during Brexit, the amount of people applying for Irish passports has gone up tenfold. Like it's increased mm -hmm. dramatically from people who would staunchly say they're not Irish suddenly want that Irish passport because it gives you access to the EU. So Right. Oh, yeah, okay. So to go back, it would be like you say, Hey Ronan, where are you from? I'm from Ireland. What part are you from? I'm from the I'm from Sligo. Or I might say Republic or something like that. And then you know. If someone says they're from Northern Ireland, that means they're from one of the six counties in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. And they're they might not give a damn about the the union between Northern Ireland and the rest of Britain, for example, they might be more loyal to Ireland as a one nation, one island approach, or they might just be like, I just want an independent country now. I'm fed up of having to report to Westminster. Let's just be independent. 
and there right. is there's all this talk about it there's all this talk about a united ireland now especially because of brexit because scotland is talking about it again as well so it's right it's interesting i did i did hear about i mean or at least i was becoming more educated about that when all of this brexit stuff came out you know scotland said that they were basically only part of the uk because they wanted to be in the eu mm-hmm. now the uk is pulling themselves out of the eu and scotland goes well we're we're in the wrong partnership then and then northern ireland had similar problems and from what i understood there was the question of the border when it came to northern ireland and the republic now it's kind of all making more sense because up until now i mean obviously all of that information was missing from my my side of the story so it was just like i don't understand what's happened over there but it's very similar to the kind of infighting that we've had in Canadian culture. So I also understand that from that perspective. Yeah. Okay. But thank you. That was, that was really. It's like, so, I mean, I'm, I'm used to be a history teacher. If you asked me all this 10 years ago, I'm sure I would have been a lot more um, insightful about the whole thing with my dates and everything like that. But the big things in Irish history is the famine. Um, where a lot of people died. And in fact, there was a recently a very, very good, like non-biased documentary produced about the famine with Liam Neeson being the narrator for it. Wonderful voice, Liam Neeson. I love and, him. Oh, he's great. And that is a great one to watch to see how the famine unfolded and how it was basically like what we would say would be an attempted genocide against the Irish people. Right. And throughout history, Britain had done some horrible crimes not only in ireland but around the world we all know about their colonist past and everything and how they would just go in and decimate a population or something like that fast forward then to rebellion after rebellion after rebellion violence politics violence politics and that's how it kept swinging you know then it was like we were granted home rule which meant we would have our own government and what's really interesting was if they had just given us that government there probably wouldn't have been a war of independence because we would have had control of our own internal affairs. Right. But once World War I kicked off and the British government said, you know what, we're going to wait a year or two before we give you home rule, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That led to the war of independence. That led to the 1916 rising, which took place in the middle of World War I. So, of course, Britain were extremely pissed They're kind of like, hey, we're fighting a war over here. What are you guys doing? And we're kind of like, hey, Britain, you're uh, you're distracted right now. We're fighting for freedom. Right. And that's not to say that like everyone, like I said, not everyone in Ireland supported it because there was a war. A lot of Irish people went to fight for Britain and died alongside British people, alongside English people in World War One. Exact same time. Exact same time. So you have people who were going to fight for a Catholic Belgium who were going to fight in Flanders and the Somme. And then you've people who are fighting in Ireland against British occupation. So, I mean, we're talking about a huge period of history there. Then we have the war of independence. We win. We go back to politics. Then civil war starts 1936. Ireland is declared a full Republic, full 100% Republic breaking all ties with the British. 100% mm-hmm. as the birth of our nation so to speak 
And then it leads to the troubles in Northern Ireland, basically down to the lack of civil rights, human rights for Catholics living in those six counties, which then led to the Good Friday Agreement, 1998, which brought peace. And thankfully, since then, there hasn't been a major conflict or anything or, you know, there hasn't been anything near the likes of the Troubles. But the Troubles are not forgotten. They never will be. And to this day, people would say it's on a knife edge. So Right. Probably a good thing if the Troubles are not forgotten. You know, it, it's yeah. like any any revolution in that way. If we start forgetting what we had to fight for, then you start taking for granted what we currently have. Absolutely. Thank you, Ronan. You're welcome. <laughs> so, Thank you for coming on my podcast. You're welcome. This is a great <laughs> podcast that you have. Wow. More of a history podcast than English language <laughs> podcast. but <laughs> I'm sure we can put together a vocabulary list oh, later. <laughs> there will be. There will be a vocabulary list, transcript, everything. Because, I mean, it's it's such a big one. And I feel that people need to hear these things as well mm-hmm. because... I mean, similar with Canadian history, people don't know a lot about it. And I'm really starting to study Canadian history now out of one out of interest too, because I want to become a Canadian citizen and everything. And it's just like a lot of people don't know about the ugly side of Canada's history. A lot of people don't know about the real ugly side of Britain's history. And what's also people need to understand is that when all of this stuff and the troubles happened, when those people were killed by the army, that's effectively British people killing British people. That's effectively the military turning on their own people. Right. But because they're Catholic, there wasn't nearly as much uproar as there should have been. And of course, that's when the IRA started to target London with bombings, with bomb scares, everything like that. And there was a lot of hatred against Irish people in England. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs on doors and everything. These signs that went up and it's just like, there was like a lot of hatred and racism towards Irish people, towards the Irish language, the Irish culture, everything like that. And only by talking about it and learning about it can we really move on and try to keep it a thing of the past. Right. Try really Actively hard. Actively work to make sure that this never happens again. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, the, I politically right now in the states uh, hopefully things have shifted just a little bit but you know same thing with regards to the the attack on the capitol right before president biden took over from president trump um if you start forgetting these things and you start to take advantage or take for granted the peace that we currently have and all of that it 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 is a very slippery slope to full unrest And it doesn't take much for it all to kick off. It really doesn't. Like I said, a lot of peace in Northern Ireland is on a knife edge. And when the talk of the border comes up, it gets real. Tensions do get high. And every 12th of July, there's a big march on for the Orange Men in Northern Ireland where they celebrate the Battle of the Boyne. And it's just like that's always a point of near conflict these days. It was conflict in the past. What I'd recommend is actually going on YouTube and watching a few episodes of Reeling in the Years. That is a fantastic Irish TV show, and it basically picks a year, say 1970, and they just go through all the archives of footage that they have for Ireland, 
And of course, in the period of the Troubles, there's always about 10 minutes dedicated to it because it's a huge part. And it's just really interesting to see through this medium of watching just actual news footage of the time, what happened. So So we've got Reeling in the Years on YouTube. We have Michael Collins with Liam Neeson and a terrible Julia uh, Roberts. Yes. We've got the documentary with Liam Neeson. What was that called? I think it's called The Famine. The Famine. And then we have the Dairy Girls or the Dairy Sisters? Yes, Dairy Girls. Dairy Girls. Okay. And if we're going to talk about it all. My watch list. (laughs) One more for you, which is one of my favorite, is The Wind That Shakes the Barley. The Wind That Shakes the Barley. And that is about the Civil War in Ireland. Okay. And that is one that will make you cry. So we have to watch The Famine first, and then Michael Collins, and then The Wind That Shakes the Barley, because that yes. will technically be in, in historical chronology. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. That's your homework. That's the whole... <laughs> and then after Sorry, that... Sorry, kids, we'll I have to watch in, my yeah. homework. <laughs> after that, we'll get into the... Uh, the modern era and then we'll get you watching some other documentaries or movies about like from the 50s onwards and i fully accept this homework <laughs> okay wonderful thank you ronan that was awesome well thank you for having me on this wonderful <laughs> podcast of yours it's my favorite podcast ever <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Um, as of next week, I will give you back your podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. All of your listeners are, I'm sure, happy to have you back. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Thank you. And have a wonderful day to everyone. Thank you very much, Kate. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was another Authentic English Conversation podcast with me, Ronan and Kate from English Anywhere. Make sure to check out her Instagram page and her website, which is englishanywhere.teachable.com. But, uh, yeah, it was just a very quick glimpse, a little bit of Irish history and some English there for you as well. My name is Ronan. My website is www.englishwithronan.com. Check it out because very soon we're going to have transcripts and we're going to have keyword lists for all of these podcasts. So if you enjoy this podcast and if you really want to learn some English and take your English to the next level, go to that website. Overall, I hope you have a great rest of your day, whatever it is you're doing. I hope you are happy. I hope you are healthy and we'll see you soon. Bye.